Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As the children make their way downstairs with their leaders. Thank you, Stephen. Let's do that one again. It's not never going to grow old. That's good stuff. Well, I hope you guys are doing well this morning. Kind of crisp out there. Feels good. Sweater. Quarter zip weather. Love it. I'll be breaking out the sweater vest in the coming weeks. You can count on that. Let me. Because that's what I do. There is a new movie um, about Mr. Rogers out, and so I'm taking a cue or two from him. Uh, we're going to begin uh, or, or continue, if you will, with our new November series uh, this morning. Uh, it's entitled, You Can't Take It With You. And uh, this morning's message uh, is called Investment Strategies. Um, last week I shared with you right out of the gates uh, the guy in Ohio um, who was, was buried astride his 1967 classic Harley. We had a picture of him uh, embalmed on his Harley, being lowered into the ground and uh, fascinating stuff. Well, I bumped into something else this week uh, that, that I thought was pretty interesting as well. And Some of you have probably heard about this or, or seen it uh, on your news feed. Back in October... Uh, there is a British graffiti artist um, by the name of Banksy. Anybody ever heard of Banksy? Yeah. Um, he uh, is kind of an anti-establishment kind of guy. He never puts his art uh, in, in in art shows or, or you know, uh, those types of things. He's, he's sort of anti-materialism, uh, uh, this sort of deal. He, he goes out and covertly does this phenomenal graffiti work, you know, all over town and uh, won't charge people to see it, that kind of thing. So that's sort of the kind of guy he is. Well, it surprised everybody that he put one of his iconic paintings uh, up for sale at Sotheby's auction in New York um, back in October. Uh, and so it, it garnered a lot of attention um, it was the the picture that he put up for sale, or the painting was called The Girl with the Red Balloon, and it was the first piece that he had ever uh, displayed like that or sold at auction. And uh, a wealthy buyer was interested in it for those reasons, obviously, and uh, he made a bid of $1.1 million for this picture of the girl in the red balloon. And the moment the gavel fell... And the auctioneer said, sold. The painting began to self-destruct on the wall. It dropped through a, sh a shredder that was built into the bottom of the frame that Banksy was able to remotely control and run that $1.1 million that was his at that point through a shredder. It was a bold statement uh, by him on materialism and how meaningless it really is. The irony is, and I say irony, I don't know if it's intentional or not, that the shredder, according to Banksy, malfunctioned halfway through the job. And as you're looking at the picture behind me, this is where it, it quit. And he said that the shredder was supposed to shred the entire picture, but it, it stopped halfway 
through, and the irony is that the piece of art is now worth $1.5 million, just the way it is to its new owner, just because of all the hoopla surrounding it. I'm not sure, really, uh, what Banksy's true motives were uh, there. Um, But the reality is Jesus made a lot of statements himself about materialism. And his motives were clear. One of the most poignant statements that we talked about last week uh, that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, read that for me. Yeah, for where your treasure is, man, that's where you're going to find your heart. In other words, your heart's going to follow your checkbook. Wealth and material possessions, Jesus is saying here, are inextricably connected to your heart. Don't miss that. Wealth and material possessions are inextricably connected to your heart and your health spiritually. And so I want to talk this morning a little bit about how we invest our wealth in our material possessions while we're here. And the guiding principle, I believe, when it comes to handling all things material in this world is this principle. It's all His. Getting up each and every day and remembering that everything that we have, everything that we supposedly own, everything that is, quote, ours, (laughs) is actually what? It's all His. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's. I mean, not just your house, not just the car you drive, not just the money you make, not just the stuff you have. This entire earth, this world belongs to Him. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. We are His possession. We are His creation. We are His masterpiece Ephesians tells us in the past when I've preached on this passage it may sound familiar to to some of you I've always had the greeters hand out dollar bills as people walked in does anybody remember that deal I've done it maybe once or twice in the 15 years here the first time I did it I did it with one dollar bills I didn't feel like it was effective enough. And so the next time I went to the bank and I said, I need a bunch of $2 bills to make it more memorable. So uh, I normally do that. Uh, You guys get the short end of the stick. I'm not handing any more money out, okay? If you don't get it by now, we're not going to pay you to come sit through a sermon. But somewhere during those services, and I, I'd done this, I probably did this 20 years ago for the first time, 20, 25 years ago for the very first time uh, in, in another church that I was serving. And somewhere during the service, I'd have everybody write on that dollar bill. I'd have you break the law right here in church and deface a dollar bill. And I'd have you write those three words, it's all his on that dollar bill as just a symbolic reminder that everything we have and everything that we are, we owe to Him. And then I'd ask everybody to to display that dollar bill or that $2 bill prominently wherever you handle your money the most. 
It's interesting. Of all the messages I've preached over the last 25 years, that's the one people remember the most, without a doubt. And it's also fascinating to me that every time I do a series on finances or material things, that is when I get the most response. I get the most emails. I get the most questions always when we talk about material possessions because this is such a real, in-your-face kind of deal that we're working with and dealing with every day. We live in this consumer-saturated society that is drawing us into this thing and, and, and grabbing at our dollars and our possessions consistently. So it is of utmost importance on people's mind. I still have folks come up to me on occasion. Uh, I had somebody come up just the other day and pull that dollar bill out of their wallet or their purse to show me. And actually, when I just mentioned this just a second ago, I think there were about five people that went in their wallets or their purses, I guess, and pulled that dollar out that they had been handed years ago coming into that. It's, it's, it's an effective reminder that everything belongs to him. And also, it's an effective reminder of Deuteronomy 8, to keep it fresh in our minds. Moses said this in the retelling of the law in Deuteronomy. He said, remember the Lord your God for it is He, it's He who gives you the ability, even the capacity to make that dollar, to produce any wealth. It all comes from Him. It's all His. He gives us the capacity to make it. He gives us the ability to make a life. When we live our lives with that understanding, wealth doesn't create pride and arrogance, which it does so easily. It fosters humility and generosity. Because we realize that God is placing great trust in us to steward his resources. It moves wealth and the accumulation of material possessions from an external endeavor to an internal responsibility. When we view all that we have and all that we have the capacity to have as gifts from God, giving back becomes an expression of gratitude. Gratitude to God. That is our motivation to invest in His kingdom. Thank you, Father. Thank you. You've already done it, Lord. You've done all that I need to know to be thankful and to give back to you, but yet, Lord, you keep doing it and doing it and doing it again. It's an expression of gratitude. It's a matter motivated by the richness of what God has given to us. Paul told the Romans this. He said, Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give you all things? Man, giving is a heart issue motivated by the giver of all good things. But it's also a demonstration of our willingness to deny ourselves and lose our lives for the sake of Christ. Jesus put it this way. He said, if anyone would, take, if anyone would come after me, 
He's got to deny himself. Do you deny yourself often? Do you consciously deny yourself? I have difficulty doing that around the dinner table. You know, we're not deny yourself kind of people, typically. We're the bring it on, get all you can, all you want kind of people in this culture today. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, well, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, God's economy is upside down, he's going to lose it. But whoever lo- loses his life for me and for the gospel, ultimately, you're going to save it. And then he says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, to get everything in this world? And yet forfeit his soul to miss the whole point of why we're here and why we were created. In other words, there are a lot of wealthy people out there, Jesus said, with bankrupt souls. You probably bump into them all the time. Man, when we love God and we're passionate about pursuing Jesus, generosity is just a byproduct. Generosity is not just a good idea for the Christian. It's who we are because of who he is. I got an email this week uh, from somebody in the congregation after last week's message, one of several actually. And uh, in it, uh, this individual shared how he keeps his eyes off the material because that's kind of what we were talking about last week. Where's your focus? You know, is it is it on earthly things or is it on heavenly things? Where is your treasure? And uh, and he sent me this list. He's doing a Bible study with some other guys that they're walking through this thing. He sent me a list of 33 things that God has done for us that we can fix our eyes on. All 33 gifts, free gifts of God's grace. And some of those were these. He's redeemed us. He's reconciled us. He's forgiven us. He's placed us in the righteousness of Christ. He's adopted us. He's fully accepted us. We're God's children brought near to Him. We've been delivered from darkness, chosen, holy, and set apart for His purposes. We're citizens of heaven now with full access to the Father given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And the list goes on and on. If you want a copy of those 33 things, just let me know. Uh, Email me or, or, or let me know after the service, and I'll send them your way. That gets our eyes off the material. And if you want to get your eyes off the material, focus on all that God in His grace has given you. And remember, it's all His. That was the Apostle Paul's focus in his letter to the Corinthian church. He shared a few principles for investing in the kingdom of God. And I want to share a couple of those with you this morning before we close. In both First and Second Corinthians, as you read through those letters uh, to that church, Paul is giving them instructions 
about taking up an offering for the Jerusalem church at the time that was really suffering. The church in Jerusalem, which is really the mother church of where all the others rose out of, were struggling through a drought and famine. And man, they needed help. And so Paul is going to the different churches that he planted, including this one in Corinth, and asking them to take up an offering to give to those in need and to give to the church of Jesus Christ. And in his instructions to them, he moves from the spiritual to the practical, from the heart to the how-to. He answers two of the most asked questions that I get when it comes to giving. Phil, what should I give and why should I give it? What is it, what's so compelling about the mission of the church, about the mission of what God has called the church to be and to do that I should give to it? Years ago, I had a man come through the partnership orientation, and that's sort of the funnel to become a member uh, of this church. And uh, and I, I share our vision, our mission, and I share, you know, just the, the fundamental principles that we operate on. And when I shared the part about the church being fully supported by the giving of its members, and again, this is this is probably 12 years ago, uh, this guy, man, you could tell, that it kind of crawled all over him a little bit. You know, he thought I was pushing a button there. And he was adamant that the New Testament says absolutely nothing about tithing. And that's true. Did you know that? The New Testament, tithing is an Old Testament principle. It is still a biblical benchmark for giving, okay? But the New Testament says nothing about tithing. Jesus never taught on tithing. And, and to tithe means to give what? A tenth. Yeah, yeah. And then... You know, God gets to keep 90% of it, or, or we get to keep 90% of it and give 10% to God. Or you can go the other way. You know, it's entirely up to you. The Spirit guides all this stuff. Um, but uh, he, he was evidently, and he was kind of ugly about it. And so it was like, you know, he was making it clear to me that he wasn't going to be given. And uh, I said, you know, man, you're right. The, the New Testament doesn't say anything about... Uh, tithing, and Jesus never taught on it. But then I took him to the story that I shared with you last week, the story of the rich young ruler. And I said, but, you know, Jesus did say this. Um, he, he was talking to the, this, this young fellow who was kind of hyper-focused on his wealth, and, and Jesus said, well, how about you sell everything you have and give it to the poor? And so I said, you know, I guess to be on the safe side, we should probably be somewhere in between those two the tithe and selling everything that you have. And the look on this guy's face was priceless. And that was the last time I saw him. He didn't come back. He didn't join the church. And when it comes to giving, Paul instructs us most importantly, and this is so important, to give freely. Without feeling pressure, without feeling compulsion, to give as, a, as, as an outflow of your relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each man should give what he has decided, or woman, 
in their own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. And in the Old Testament, and I shared a little bit of this with you last week, the Israelites paid their tithe to the temple under the law. You paid God under the law. It was a legal obligation. They had to pay it. It was like a temple tax. But in Christ, under the new covenant, our motivation for giving is a relational response, not a legal obligation. Do you hear me? Our mo- and it, Night and day. Our motivation to give to the kingdom of God, to invest in the kingdom of God, is a relational response, not a legal obligation. The tithe is a biblical benchmark for giving, not a legal demand. The law has been fulfilled by Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection. And it is now written, Scripture tells us, on our hearts So we don't pay God to assuage our guilt. Jesus has completely forgiven us on the cross. Jesus has completely separated our guilt and our sin before the Father as far as the east is from the west. You can give everything you have, sell everything you have and give it to God and it won't make a dime's worth of difference concerning your standing before God if you don't know Christ. I mean, we'll take it and use it for the kingdom. But it's about Jesus. It's not about following the law. It's about a relationship. And out of that relationship, generosity flows. We give to God out of affection and appreciation for what Jesus has given to us. In other words, our motivation is love now. It's not law. Henry Nouwen, the great Catholic contemplative, put it this way. He said, love will always have a fragile character. He said, it cannot be sustained by structures, rules, or commitments. And and now hear that. Love will always have a fragile character. It cannot be sustained by structures, rules, or commitments. Think about your marriage. I mean, if you just got rules, you know, I got to be here, I got to do this, I got to do that. You're talking about a cold, hard place to be that ultimately probably is going to come to an end. Mm -mm. Love sustains that marriage. He says, and it can only be sustained, love, by continued acts of giving not rules, which are marked by gentleness, care, openness, and trust. In other words, what you give to the kingdom of God should be motivated by His love for you and your love for Him by a relationship, not by a rule. That's been our philosophy, and I believe it is the the biblical true philosophy, doctrine of giving in the Scripture since we started this church 15 years ago, and we have never gone without. God has met absolutely every need this church has had above and beyond 
because we have approached it relationally and trusted God to do in your heart what only God can do. And we're going to continue to do that. Folks still ask, and it is one of the most popular questions, but, you know, Phil, I make such and such amount of money. They don't typically tell me that. But, you know, at what percent? How much should I give? I mean, really, tell me. Just tell me, Pastor. How much should I give? How much is okay with God for me to give? Wrong way to approach it. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. And I almost always share this every time I preach on this, so this won't be the first time you've seen this, because I believe, man, he hits the nail on the head. Lewis said this. He said, I don't believe we can settle how much we ought to give. He's talking about to the kingdom. He said, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, the neighbors around us, we're probably giving away too little. I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, Jesus said to deny yourself. I should say it's too small. So when people say, Phil, how much should I give? That's how much we should give. And it's different for everybody. And put that on your refrigerator, on your checkbook. One of the best ways to get to that level of stewardship is not only to give freely, but to give first. To give first. Right after Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 3, the, the, the famous passage that so many have committed to memory, trust the Lord your God with all your, oh, I'm sorry, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs 3. Solomon says, trust God with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And we stop right there. But immediately after that, Solomon wrote this. He said, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. See, that's what in, in Solomon's day, that's what they brought in to the storehouse, to, to the temple. Giving first. It's tough, man. It's a trust issue. The most significant way to break the hold that money and materialism has on us is to give to God first. Don't wait to see what's left over because that requires little faith and little trust. Give first. Paul goes on to encourage us no matter where we are in that process. And again, you know, this is, this is a challenge for virtually everybody that I know in Christendom. And so we're all in this thing together. We're just at different stages of the journey. But Paul says this, if we want to grow in our giving, he said, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, just as you excel in your faith and in your love for us, he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See that you're growing in this area. He said, I'm not commanding you. See, Paul didn't say, a hard issue for all of us. He said, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Whew. 
He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, left heaven to come here, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Mm. Give freely. Give first. You know, the reality is uh, in the last... 14 or 15 years since we've been doing this together. This church is where it is today and has touched countless lives for Jesus in this community and across the world because so many of you excel in the grace of giving. Tapestry is by far, I've only served in Three churches. I've been in ministry for 25 years, been here almost 15 years, and in that 25 years, just three churches. So not a big sample, but I tell you, Tapestry is by far the most generous church that I have ever served in. It has blown me away and continues to. The elders and I are... I'm going to give you an opportunity as we continue through the remainder of this year to excel even more as we launch what we're calling Tapestry's Imagine Campaign. And you're going to hear a lot more about that on December the 2nd in our church conference. But essentially, the Imagine Campaign is, is a vision to strategically fund the future of this church and to strategically fund the growth of the next generation in this church. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what God seems to be pouring into our spirits about where he wants us to go in 2019. And we're going to be rolling this out to bring you into a full understanding of where we believe God is calling us to go as a church on December 2nd. So don't miss that church conference. But until then, as we approach Thanksgiving, the spending season, Christmas, just keep in mind, it's all His. It's all His. And He's called us and given us the privilege of being stewards of all that He has brought into our lives. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being given the responsibility to steward the gospel, to steward the spiritual blessings that you have poured into our lives, but also, Lord, of giving, having been given the responsibility to steward uh, the physical and tangible things that you bring into our lives. May we, Father, deny ourselves. May we be those who are called faithful. May we, Lord, even today in, in, in our homes, around our tables, Lord, have the conversation about how we can better, as individuals and families, be stewards of the resources that you have given to us. And I pray that prayer in Jesus' name and acknowledge that he is enough. Amen.